0: This is Soccer Pilgrim, the podcast dedicated to soccer and travel, where each stadium is shrine and its fans delay people. For the traveler, it is another culture to explore. Welcome to the Soccer Pilgrim podcast with Jason Kim. Hello everyone, welcome back to Soccer Pilgrim. I'm your host, Jason Kim. And today is another Arsenal episode uh, with a very good friend of mine who's been out of the country, uh, out of town, and has moved to Toronto for school. And I haven't seen him in a minute, so I'm excited to do this episode with him. And that friend is Ganji. What's up, Ganji? Hello, everyone. Very well, Jason. How's it going? I'm good, man. So uh, you're an Arsenal
1: fan. Why? (laughs) Why? I asked myself that question many times. (laughs) And uh, the answer is that I started watching soccer a long time ago when Arsenal was the team. Yeah. I think that's the real answer. Okay. To make it short.
0: Okay. Uh, wait, try to speak a little closer to the mic. Uh, okay, yeah. There you go. Um, Like you're doing stand-up comedy, which you used to do before, right? I have done stand-up comedy. I've done a bunch of stuff,
1: a bunch of random things. But, you know, I would say it's strange. I always said that to people. I was like, my one and true love is Arsenal. Because <laughs> it's never changed. I've been an Arsenal fan
0: since, I'd say, 2001. Oh, which reminds me. I remember you shared a really good story about how you became an Arsenal fan, which I thought was nice. It was a nice story. Yeah, so when I was a kid, when I was around five or six, I don't
1: remember. I was quite young. I had uh, I was given an Arsenal jersey, but I didn't know what it meant. I just liked the colors. Yeah. And then I went to London with my mother, and we're seeing family, and I think it was the FA Cup final when we beat Chelsea. I don't remember watching the game, but I remember looking back. I think... I think Lundberg scored a goal, like a, a scorcher or something like that, Ray Parler, someone like that. So anyway, so London was red that day mm. and I was wearing the right colors. And then as everyone was walking out, like they were like, you know, hugging me and kissing me and stuff like that. And I vividly remember this, tab, this cab driver, sorry, in London, picking me up and like giving me a big kiss on the cheeks. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. My mother didn't understand what's going on either. <laughs> but then we clued, we made it, you know, we pieced it together and we realized that it was the jersey because everyone was wearing the same jersey that I was, or at least the same colors. Uh, and I
0: think that's where I was like, oh, wow, this team is special. Yes. So basically, your first Arsenal moment was an accident <laughs> in some ways. It was. It was. Like all love stories, I guess, you know? It's, oh, uh, yeah, okay. Oh, no, That's a good way of putting it. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's so I'm true. getting romantic on you, but <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like it was, I didn't plan on becoming
0: an Arsenal fan. I feel like it was just kind of meant for me. Right. Uh, oh, just a note to any listeners: If you hear background noise, it's definitely my cat making noise, and I can't like keep her out of the room because she'll start meowing and making more noise. So just bear bear that with me. Um, so I spoke to Greg, uh, another mutual friend of ours, who is on the on the episode, uh, fellow Arsenal fan, fellow yeah. Arsenal fan. And let's get straight to it of what's happening with Arsenal right now. Um, he uh. says that a lot of the problems that's happening with Arsenal isn't necessarily with Arteta, but With people above him. Do you feel the same way? I definitely do because
1: Arteta didn't hire himself. Right. You know what I mean? And Arteta isn't the person giving him the green light despite all the mistakes that he's made. Yeah. Like, he's being enabled. Like, okay, I don't think he's a very good coach. Or maybe, like we've spoken about this just today actually, I wonder if these guys are actually maybe good coaches that have been thrown in the deep end too fast. Mm-hmm. But I do know that he's not able to be an Arsenal manager at this point, in my opinion. But the people above him
0: keep him around. So what do you? I always see this because, like, maybe because, like, I, I watch a lot of Real Madrid and, and and Liverpool. Those are the two teams I watch the most in Europe. Because yeah. my main team is Montreal uh, Club de Foot Montreal. Like that's always gonna impact. Be. <laughs> 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 and um. Uh, like with Zidane, right? Yeah. You know how Zidane was like the youth academy coach of uh, of Real Madrid for yeah. like three, four years, and he was winning with them, and then he became senior coach, and then yeah. he was amazing. Yep. Do you feel like all of them should be doing that? Because like Arteta seemed to run from assistant manager straight to Arsenal manager, which is like, that's still a pretty big step. I think it's a huge step. And I think you can just tell from all the people who claim that he's a good
1: coach, they speak of the fact that he was a good player. He wasn't a great player. Yeah. He was a good player. Yeah, He wasn't a great Arsenal player. He was a good Arsenal player. Right. But supposedly, the two years that he had with Pep as his assistant were enough to give him so much credit. And I guess everyone that like, who you know, pretends to be it or claims to be an insider in the Premier League says, like, no, no, he's actually a really good coach. And it's like, all right, but he's never proved it.
0: Yeah, it's too soon, right?
1: It's too soon. And you know, you could say that Zidane coaching, um, I forget the name of the Real Madrid B, is not a real, it's not proof that he'd be a good coach for Real Madrid. Fair enough. Mm. But it does show that he's managed a team. He's gone through a season. Mm. He's been through the ups and downs of a a football season.
0: Yeah. And also,
1: Zidane, right? When you think about it, it's. (sighs) He's a special man for sure. But I think that that trend of having your legend just come into the role of coach i hope it's not i hope it's gone because yeah it tarnishes the relationship the fans have with that player like i feel like lampard now mm. is kind of not respected as much as he was before he became oh, chelsea coach
0: because think about it, like wait, um, besides Lamp- lampard john terry isn't he still like assistant coach at aston villa what, what happened to him i think he just
1: left that position in search for something where he'd be number one but I think he's being clever about it I hear he he's looking for something maybe more in the championship
0: that's smart because yeah. like when Lampard was at the the derby coach yeah that was good cause like he had Mason Mount with him I Timmy, think Tammy Abraham yeah 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 like Chelsea boys that he like cultivated and make them who they are today and yeah. also they were in the uh, promotion playoffs they were they were solid that season and, they were and um that also reminds me of um, Steven Gerrard do you know where a lot of people were like, cause here's the theory now when Klopp retires, well not retires, when Klopp sees his contract out, mm-hmm. uh, people are thinking that they'll sign Gerard and him becoming manager of Liverpool. He's had a really one great season of Rangers, but now it's like, this is the real test now. Yeah. You think it's like the, what's it called? The sophomore album
1: thing, you know, where yeah.
0: an artist comes out with a great first album and you're like, okay, let's see if the second one. Yeah, this is it. And, okay. And, um, And which brings me to another point because like some people are saying maybe he's not that good. Maybe he's overrated as a manager, Steven Gerrard, which I'm like, it's still kind of like too soon to say. Do you feel the same way about Arteta though? I think the difference between Gerrard
1: and Arteta is that I think Gerrard does have that thing about him where he is, I don't say level of Zidane, but he is an amazing player who can dominate a dressing room, I think just by stepping, just walking into it, you know? Mm. And, you know, Rangers is not Arsenal. Yeah. I know Arsenal in 2021 is not Arsenal in 2004, but the pressure is different. Yeah. You don't get that same type of uh, scrutiny. You're not constantly being questioned by your fans. We're, we're a very difficult fan base. Yes, very. very diff- I'd say the, one of the hardest out there. It's maybe us around Madrid, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, say, I think we're, we're even tougher online because it's like London, so there's like more of a... <laughs> it's like, you know how they say in basketball, like a big market team... So, I think London just gets a lot of attention. So, Arsenal gets a lot of attention. Yeah, true. So, I think Gerard, I think he did the right thing by starting at Rangers. I think he, even if he didn't do as well as he did last season, he wouldn't be written off. And mm-hmm. I think because he did so well, is in like an invincible season. Yeah. For, which,
0: it's still amazing. It destroyed the Celtic dominance of Scotland. There you go. Of Scotland.
1: Yeah. And so, I think he has a lot more credit now. And I think that's why when you're a Liverpool fan and you hear that he might be
0: linked to the job post-Club. And I don't think you're too mad about that, are you? No. I mean, like, seeing what he does with Rangers, I feel like it's... Okay, maybe not like Ronaldo going back to United. That's a different matter. But it's like, it's the hometown hero coming back. Yeah. And it's going to be a home... Not just a hometown hero. Is a hometown person who's going to be managing Yeah, his hometown club. Yeah. Which is like a bigger deal when you think about the culture of it all and all that stuff.
1: Yeah. But, you know, you kind of you're touching upon something that I think is also really strange is you know that idea of the DNA of the team yeah Um, it's like I think DNA of the team is a cop out I think it's a way of saying that it's a signing that won't anger the fans too much Mm. because okay Arteta because you know just with regards to Arsenal how well does he know the DNA of the team because he came in when Arsenal Mm. were probably at one of our lowest points after we got thrashed 8-2 he was one of the panic buys that we made like yeah. a few days afterwards. So he's not Patrick Vieira, you know, he's not Terry. He's not, uh, he's not even Bloomberg. Yeah. Bloomberg is a legend. And then now, you know, his reputation is kind of yeah. iffy with us, but so he's, so the DNA thing feels kind of, I don't know. It feels like a out. It feels like a thing. It's a, it's a euphemism for the fans won't kill us. If
0: we make him the coach, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's a good point. It's like, um, okay, because you brought up Vieira and Alri with Vieira, he's a Crystal Palace now. Do you feel like who would you rather have? Just like point blank, Patrick Vieira or Arteta as a manager of Arsenal? Forgetting what Ars- how Arsenal is doing right now, just like on the surface. Vieira.
1: Really? Why? I love Vieira. Okay. I think Vieira is one of the players that made me fall in love with football. And I think that I don't know what he's like as a tactician. Uh they did it well against Tottenham. But beyond that that would be the real romant- romantic story. You know, he was the captain of the Invincibles and his departure kind of signaled the end of the dominant, unquestionably number one era of Arsenal. Mm. So the romantic in me would say that maybe his return would bring us back, maybe not to being the undisputed number one because yeah, competition is crazy nowadays, but at least he get us back to a respectable level. That's what I would hope that he'd be able to do. And do you find Ari to be a good coach? I don't think so.
0: I don't think so either.
1: I don't think so. I think the thing that made him a good player makes him a bad coach, which is he has kind of a big ego. Ah. Wow. And he's kind of going out for his.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, I feel like that's kind of why he came to Montreal to begin with. Yeah. Because, do you know, like, <laughs> it's like do you know when you play, like, FIFA manager? You just yeah. want to take a weak team and just say, like, I brought them from, let's say, Division One to the Premier League. Yeah. I get the sense that's what he wanted to do, wanted to do with Montreal. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think, and I think it would have been the perfect PR coup. Like, you know, Montreal has that European thing to it too, and yeah, he's French and he's fanboy. And So yeah, if it had worked out that way, where we we win or we you know become a very very good team, I <sighs> think from there on he'd have been knocking at the door of you know bigger teams in Europe.
0: And okay, so yeah, so Greg pretty much has the same. Opinion as you. Okay. Which is essentially saying there's Arteta needs more time. He needs to get in the players that he needs, that he wants, that works in his system and like cut out the players that are unnecessary. I think he, if I remember correctly, he brought up uh, El Neni. We don't need El Neni anymore. Or there's other players he says that we don't really need anymore. Yeah. But then I asked him because he didn't really have an answer because he was like, um, how can I say, uh, I put him on the spot. Okay. But is there a player that Arsenal... Do you feel like there is a player out there that Arsenal were to buy? Money's not a factor. Okay. Arsenal can buy that will completely change up everything. One player. One or two or three. But let's say one or two. Okay. Uh one or two. Uh and like not Messi or Ronaldo. Like let's, Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, let's yeah. be realistic. And
1: I I wouldn't go from Mbappe or Haaland either, because I think those are too too easy. Yeah. Putting me on the spot that way, I would go quickly for I think like a Casemiro.
0: Oh yeah, that's good. You know, that's someone good. who
1: can come in right away and do a job. Yeah, it doesn't need five months to figure out the physics. No, he just can come in and just do a job. Mm-hmm. Um, I would go with um, someone maybe more creative. Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Ooh, Gunduan. Oh, yeah, I that's think, good. Yeah, I I think because. I think one of our problems is that we're so slow in transition. We're so predictable. And I think that's part of – that's one of the things I really don't like about Arteta is that the only thing that he wants Arsenal to do is what he kind of set up for them to do. Yeah. Like I remember the, the their goals that we scored like at the beginning of his uh, reign was um, – they were very structured. Like it came from the right and then there was a through ball from William that went all the way to the other side. And then it was a one-on-one situation with Oba cuts in top corner. Like, I saw that go happening three times. Exactly the same way. So you can tell that was, like, rehearsed right. and choreographed. And it was, like, that's a thing that we do. But now what happens when you get to, like, these teams that are, you know, street smart that can identify something or, you know, do some sort of video work <laughs> where they know, okay, they're going to try and, and do that. Yeah. I think when, when when someone just figures us out, we don't have any other ideas. And he gets really scared and doesn't say... Guys, express yourself. Yeah. So I think someone like uh, Gundogan, I think I see him
0: adapting to different situations and not having to just be that one trick pony. But the one signing I really do like that Arsenal made was uh, Udegaard. I think Udegaard. You think so? I think so. I mean, Greg really liked that. Likes him as a signing. Okay. I do too because when I watched him at Real Madrid, I was like. This kid's like, he's really good. He like, he's a good play. play he is. Great playmaker. He yeah. could finish. He, um yeah, his passing ability is just incredible. Yeah. I think it's just a matter of giving him game time. Yeah. At Real Madrid. And here, now he needs to sort of compete with uh, Smith Rowe. Which I think is good competition. It is. Because like Smith Rowe, I think he's a really promising player. Yeah. I'm just, um, but on the field. Where, where where's the problem with arsenal because uh, like I feel like when I watch let's say Nicolas Pepe I mean his his finishing's got better but I feel like they're struggling to finish they they're struggling to finish but for me like I've been watching this team
1: um for so many years that I can identify at least one common thing because if you think about it from the time of Arteta playing yeah. and Arteta now being the coach you could say the team does similar like there are things that just be- become arsenal traits yeah but the players have changed like there's been a complete change of the guard a few times so the the things that i think are are always there is a real lack of i think even i hate to use such words but like um of grit to a certain degree uh-huh. and of we're, we're always the most naive team on the pitch oh uh, yeah you know so yeah. so those two things since Wenger, like there was a time when when the Vieiras and stuff left because Vieira and, and and the Petits and the Henries and the Loombergs and the Pires and the Gibel Silva and uh Bergkamp they were as good technically as they were physically they weren't just you know uh silky luxury players yeah they weren't Rosiskis and Wilshers who on any given day no on a given day could give you a game of a lifetime where you, you've never seen anyone play. I still remember Wilshire playing against Barcelona. In Everyone brings that up when they talk about Wilshire. He was like. Unplayable. Unplayable, yeah. Xavi, Iniesta, Messi, didn't matter. Mm. Busquets, he outplayed all of them. And he was 19. But, by the way, Pep said, I have five of those in my academy. Hey, I think shit. I remember that that quote. And That's I was a like, statement right yeah, there. And I was like, fuck this guy. <laughs> Turns out he was right. But all I'm saying is that. Um, we went from having guys like Viera's and stuff like that who would give you a performance, minimum a 7 out of 10 for like 38 games, to these guys who were physically just unable to, you know, put in a shift regularly. And I think that comes down to recruitment because we kind of get these same players that when push comes to shove yeah. and things get tough, they
0: wither under the pressure. mm do you know? Do you know I feel like the Arsenal scouting system, or the scouts need to watch? They need to watch that movie Moneyball, with Brad Pitt. They do, cause like, like just do Brentford, that, like yeah, like for, like for example, wait, what Brentford? Wait, like, what do they do? I hear they use the Moneyball system. Yeah, because like, I, Liverpool. I mean, Liverpool is owned by the Red Sox uh, or the same ownership group. Oh yeah, and FSG, right? Yes, and re- the Red Sox uh, implement that Moneyball system. Yeah, and. Like, if I use Liverpool as an example, right? I mean, yes. Okay. Arguably, they didn't entirely respect the money ball rules by signing Salah for, like, 50 mil, signing uh, Van Dyke for, like, 70 mil, and signing Allison for 70 mil, like, about the same price or whatever. Yeah. You know, big, big money. But then they go on and sign Robertson. Low-key, no one knew anything about it. Yeah, true. They uh, they promote Trent Alexander-Arnold. Yeah. Uh, they get, go and get Joel Matip. No one really knows about him. I mean, he's rated in Germany, but that's it. True. Oxley Chamberlain from Arsenal, where everyone was like, "That's a wash signing," and he turned out to be amazing for that one season. But still, good player. We were kind of happy that he left.
1: So yeah. <laughs>
0: we under yeah like we underestimated him. Yeah, like I mean, okay. I actually want to say this because now we're on the topic of Oxy Chamberlain. Uh, I I thought that that final against Real Madrid and Kiev. Yeah. I if, if Mohamed Salah didn't get injured by Sergio Ramos, uh-huh. uh and if oxley Chamberlain didn't get injured at Man City at the semifinals, yeah, I think if so if basically if Salah and Chamberlain were on the were on the field for the full game, yeah, I think Liverpool would have won because what oxley Chamberlain has that Real Madrid doesn't have at the midfield is someone of his pace, his size, yeah. his strength, and also he has incredible technical ability for a player with all those traits right he does yeah because you know he was a winger very very tricky good touch good sh- great shots and i was thinking like real madrid modric is not that fast as, as nor as strong as chamberlain no way tony cruz is not as quick as chamberlain no nope. casemiro could probably keep up but as soon as chamberlain dribbles past him it's over yeah and he doesn't have just chamberlain to worry about he has Henderson you know.
1: and Milner and Wynaldum and those those are these players we're talking about before years ago Yeah. where
0: their legs were probably a lot way less, better yeah <laughs> less mileage on them and like uh, I feel bad for Milner he barely gets game time but I think he accepts that but um yeah, he's like what 34 30 so?
1: yeah he's older than um no what was it uh he's watched he was he was playing for Leeds when they went down Oh my that's god. That's how old he is, that's, I think.
0: That's, back. that's like that feels like ancient history. Yeah. That's yeah. And that's why I love Leeds. I'm so happy that Leeds are back. I'm very happy about that. True, true. Amen. But, but that being said, um seeing Chamberlain play that well that season, I was like, man, Arsenal kind of messed up. So was it so where do you think <laughs> back to Arsenal. So where, where do you think they went wrong with Chamberlain? Was it just because he was always injured, which he kinda is at Liverpool? I think
1: um of course we don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but there's some players that we get rid of very quickly and it just doesn't add up. Like Chamberlain, okay. I think physically he was a bit of a liability because he often had injuries. Yeah. Even when he came in as like a seventeen year old. As by the time he was twenty year old, we knew that he was injury prone. Right. And I think Liverpool were willing to pay what you pay like twenty five mil? Something like that. Something like that. So I think we're like, all right, this is good business. And uh, somehow we were proven right. It's unfortunate because I really like him as a player, and I don't wish any player to be injured, but I think physically his body sometimes just gives up on him but there's examples like Nabri, why uh, do we let him go? You know what I mean like yeah we act we really acted like he wasn't good enough for us, but then if I remember clearly in those days, that wasn't too far away from like the Bennyaon days, you know what I mean like that wasn't uh, like so how much. How much worse is Naby compared to Ben Ya'un to um, who was playing in those days? Joel Campbell is yeah. he really that much, like, you know? Okay, yeah. Another clear example of that that just does not make sense. And I think it's because I think they want kind of like, let me finish this point first, yeah, is yeah. Saliba. So yes. we're sworn, we, we're told that he's like the second coming of Christ. He's the new Varan And he might be a good player. I don't think he's going to be a new Vahan, but we're told he's that good and everything and we pay a good amount of money for an 18-year-old. Fofana, who was his understudy, mm. is killing it in the Prem before he got injured, sadly. Yeah. So there, everything points towards him being a good player. Okay. All right. We say he's not good enough. Arteta says, I think explicitly, I think he's quoted saying that, Saliba is not good enough. All right. But, Kolasinac is, Chambers is, <laughs> Holding is, Mari, Cedric Suarez. Who got bodied by Lukaku. Jesus, man. Like, <laughs> So is he that much worse than those guys? If he is, he shouldn't be a professional player. Because Ooh. those guys, are, no, man, those guys, are, they've been embarrassed us so many times. Like yeah. Mari played against Lukaku like he didn't know who he was coming up against. He, was, he thought he was going oh, like, to yeah. appeal to the ref. It's the Prem, it's Lukaku bro, get in there, you know? Yeah. So I think there's this thing too where the recruitment, they want sometimes silky players, I guess, who will just, you know, I don't know. You say jump and they say ha high. One good company man, I guess. Because Guendouzi, of course, he does have a mouth on him. We can tell. But, man, we kind of need him. You know what I mean? Like, I feel yeah. like he wouldn't, it wouldn't have hurt us to have him in the team. And to have someone who maybe is overzealous and has a bit too much grit, who's also 21. We forget he's really young. Yeah. I don't know, man. Is that like really the worst thing in the world? I don't think so.
0: I feel like I, I was watching this uh hockey documentary about how uh there are no more enforcers in the NHL. Like Okay. Like um because hockey has become so much of a technical game. Okay. Where like you have Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby, those kind of players that just, you know, they're in they're pleasant to watch to pleasant to watch, right? Yeah enforcers are horrible hockey players they should they suck at skating they don't always score goals but that's not their job their job is to be assholes on the on the (laughs) ice right and i feel like um a good football team requires one enforcer for sure you know what i mean like um it's a contact sport
1: it's it's competition yeah so it's you can be as technical as you want to be but it's not chess you know what i mean that's it it is a game of the mind but I think you're completely right. I think at some point you need someone who can step in there. And when you come up against that person, you're like, okay, it's going to be a tough one today. It's like if he tackles me and I go for a 50-50 with that guy, I know yeah. I'm going to get hurt. Yeah. And it's, and he's going to – every time I go for a 50-50, every time I jump for a header, every time there's a corner, he's going to be a nuisance. And um,
0: I got to bring up. So how do you feel about Granit Xhaka? I think Granit Xhaka is very poorly managed. Mm, that's a good answer. Because he's answer.
1: to say that he's a ship player, it's he's unfair. proven it so often that he isn't. Yeah. And how come he plays as well as he does for Switzerland, but then when it comes to playing for Arsenal, he just can't get it right, you know? Mm. I think also he's asked to be put to play further back. Last year he was asked to play left back and he did a job. Yeah. So I think he's often used in the wrong way. And I think he pays for it and the team pays for it all the time. Okay. Okay.
0: Because like I I feel the same way about him. It's like I don't hate him because I seen his qualities. But I really like that answer the best is that he's poorly managed. As you said, because it's Switzerland is not a bad team. As, it, it isn't. This past Euro, yeah, when they beat France, I was like, oh, okay. How well was
1: he playing? He I remember like from even the group stage, I forgot who he was who they were playing, but he was really, really good. And he was not he didn't have any defensive duties, by the way. Uh, he's just, more of a box to box. He was more of a box-to-box? Box. He was more of a box-to-box. He was more... He didn't have to be so tactically disciplined mm. because I don't think that's his strength. I think uh, if you have him right in front of the defense where you have to be really like a Kante who's so good at reading the game and so good at putting himself... Look at Fabinho, I think for me, is my favorite, maybe not the best, but my favorite CDM right now. Yeah. Because he's so he knows what to do. Yeah. He's so disciplined. He knows where to be. He knows where you know where he needs to be at the right time. Jacques is not that guy.
0: No. But um, I know at the beginning we started the podcast talking about you. So yeah. I want to kind of go back to you as an Arsenal fan. Okay. Because I feel like I had to get that uh, I feel like I need to get that off the chest of what's going wrong with Arsenal. Yeah. First off, because for all the listeners who may be just casual football fans, Arsenal's a great club. Big club that shouldn't be performing this poorly. Especially, yes, it's early in the season, but they shouldn't be performing this poorly anyway. That 1-0 win to Norwich felt like... um, How did that feel to you? I mean, mean, it was a weight off your shoulder, but I felt like that should have been an
1: easy win. It should have been an easy win. I knew going into it that it wasn't going to be just because the pressure was so high. Yeah. Because anything less than a win would have been catastrophic. Mm. And I think we avoided a catastrophe but he wasn't convincing still
0: that's yeah that's true i mean yeah although i'm a fan of todd i'm a fan of todd cantwell love that guy he's a very cool guy very cool good guy good player cool guy and um but back to you so i want to okay let's learn a little more about you so you were if i'm not missing were you born in montreal or were you born in rwanda born in montreal uh, born yeah. in montreal and then moved to rwanda when i was 9 and then you went to boarding school, right? To in... I went to boarding school, but that was a bit later on when I was around 15. In Nairobi? In, in Nairobi, in yeah. Kenya? Yeah. So, and when did you move back to Montreal when you were like 18? 16, 17.
1: Okay. Asia, so 16, 17, yeah. Around okay. that age.
0: So w- while, you were, while you were in Rwanda and Kenya, were you watching Arsenal games quite often? Religiously. Rel- okay, so we're, are there a lot of Arsenal fans in the uh, other countries?
1: In both countries, I would say it's between Manchester United and Arsenal for the most followed teams. And reason being, and I really think that's true, I also do a lot of stuff in like media and stuff like that. So I'm a nerd when it comes to that. And I think that the, the moment when TV or soccer games became so widely accessible in our region, yeah. East Africa, and I think Africa in general, was early 2000s. Mm. And when... Who were the big teams at that time? United. Arsenal and Manchester United. Mm. So I think that's why you go... Like, Ronda... Arsenal is like Ronda's team. Like Really? It's, it's, yeah, it feels like sometimes the national team is so bad that there was a time where we're just like, it's fine, I have Arsenal. Oh, and wow. Now, now I have nothing. That's <laughs> sad. <laughs> <laughs> Ronda national team is doing better. Better than Arsenal, which is not much to say, but anyway. So... <laughs> So no, so I think that's why I think that's why there's so many fans there. I think it's because at that moment where the Premier League also it wasn't just when we got access to uh, to that type of that level of football or that amount of football, I'd say, yeah. But I think it's also when the Premier League took you know uh, Uh, number one spot from the Italian league and from La Liga. I think it was really around that time. Yeah, Yeah. So I think everything came together perfectly to make Arsenal such a popular team on the African continent.
0: Um, oh, yeah. I want to share this random anecdote. I was in Chad, right? And okay. uh, I was playing soccer in Chad. Do you know when you play pickup soccer, all the kids will start naming you like one of, those, one of the best players. Like, if you start dribbling people around and you're doing well, they're like, oh, it's Messi, Messi, Messi. Yeah, yeah. You know what's funny? In Chad, this is just a random note, but in Chad, they wouldn't say Messi. They would say Benzema. There you go. That, and I was like, why? Because wow. ben, Benzema wasn't the best player in Madrid. It was Ronaldo. Yeah. And if it wasn't Ronaldo, it was arguably like... Sergio Ramos or Marcelo yeah yeah and definitely. then I remember I just was dribbling people out they're like yo Benzema Benzema I'm like I kind of like this I there's something about this it's like you guys actually know soccer a little more yeah and you know what I mean what year was this I'm curious oh I was uh 19 or 20 years old so that was like eight years ago okay so it's like 20 uh so it's 2021 that's, yeah that's at the height of BBC so they could have gone for no, this is right before BBC oh right before. Okay. Yeah. So this one, so, Iguain was still on the squad. I think Mourinho was still coach. Yeah, so they could have gone with any other player in that. Like that's they could I have gone with Ozil. They could have gone with uh, Di Maria. Di
1: Maria. And yeah, the obvious one you would think it would be Ronaldo. But they said Benzema, and I was like,
0: oh, I was like, I like this. I was like because, I guess the inner hipster in me, I was like, you see, I respect yeah, that yeah, a no, more. I was gonna say,
1: I was like, yeah, that's. Uh, you guys should go and interview them, Darby Mike, maybe. I w- yeah. I, w-
0: I I honestly I've been thinking about going back to Chad because like. Um, the, we stayed with a missionary and playing soccer there was so much fun they're playing barefoot and I stepped on this guy's foot with cleats on no reaction he didn't <laughs> even say ow and I was like oh excuse me and he was like he was like no that's it part of the game part of the game and I was like dude what <laughs> I was like built different just built different but yeah, um man. is it cause I never I played soccer in Kenya but Rwanda yeah is it a similar vibe uh, like do you see people playing barefoot while people are wearing cleats or is everyone wearing cleats or shoes or whatnot? It, so, okay, so when I was there, it was quite a long time ago so
1: I think maybe things have changed a bit but when I did first get there when I was nine, it was very different. It was a th- like what you're describing where um, I would come in with, what uh, was it, T90s? like I remember, I remember, Oh yeah, like the Nikes. Yeah, yeah, the Nikes, right? Uh Very proud of them and some <laughs> of these guys would come in with like these beat up cleats and just didn't care, didn't matter and, some guys would play barefoot. Not so much because we, I used to play for like, you know, reasonably organized teams. Okay. But if you just play, if like, this is the truth. Like when I went to school and I went to a really good school in, in Rwanda, but when we had recess, we would, and we used to wear uniforms. We used to take off our like, you know, nice shoes for a uniform. Yeah. And just play barefoot and use the shoes to make goals. Oh no, Okay. You know? So, so we all have done that. Hmm maybe not barefoot like in socks or something like that or we used to find or sometimes it was sports day we play but we we had we didn't need any excuse to play we used to play i love that. all the time everywhere um we you know playing on grass was like cool but it wasn't necessary or we used to play we used to call it like a cow because there'd be patches of grass all over the field <laughs> so sometimes like a guy would be playing number 11 for one half and the number seven, the other half. Like, yeah. but you're number eleven. Is supposed to be the other side. It's like no, 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 guys. There's the grass. I got my nice boots on today. <laughs> I'm not gonna go over there and like yeah. get them ruined. But no, so yeah, it was the football is is really done for passion. There's not much of a, an industry. So mm. as kids, you don't go there saying necessarily I want to be Ronaldo, meaning that you want to have his career. You just want to play
0: like him. I love that that afternoon. I love that because um, when I was in Kenya, I remember I remember playing. I remember playing soccer with the neighborhood kids and they were just wearing barefoot and I had my shoes and I was just playing and like there's like, you know, there's like nails and like rust and metal and they don't, they don't care. Yeah. And I remember one of their balls, one of the, I didn't have a ball. So one of the kids, the neighbor had a ball, but his ball popped <laughs> and I was like, I felt bad. And cause like I could see they were just really bummed out. Yeah. So the next day I go to the, to the local, uh, you know the junction? Maybe? Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. If, uh, for those listening, junction is like a, a Muzungu mall, I guess. It is, yeah, and like a, a foreigner mall or a white people mall. And so, it's, it's now it's changed.
1: Now is it nicer? Oh man, Nairobi. When when were you Nairobi? Uh twenty
0: eleven. 2012 nice. yeah you wouldn't recognize it really yeah um I, I gotta go back but um i remember going there we'd always go there every morning for breakfast just to get i guess have a little bit of western yeah civilization and uh i remember going to the mall to the store there and i just bought a ball it was like a dollar yeah and i remember buying i remember just buying like okay i'm not gonna buy like a 30 dollar ball I'm just buy a dollar. like you know yeah just buy cheap ball whatever ball yeah and i felt kind of guilty because like you know i guess in a western mind it was like i don't think you're good enough for a nice ball yeah but when I brought the ball to these kids, they didn't care. They were like, this is a good ball. Man, all you need is a ball. And I remember just playing and the ball popped. And <laughs> that same day. <laughs> the ball popped. That same day. They were bummed out. I was like, I was like, I can't keep buying these kids balls, right? Yeah. So, but I was like, you know what? I'm gonna buy another one. So I bought another one. I was like, I really hope this doesn't pop. They're like Is it a one dollar one again? I bought it something nice, like maybe ten dollars. Okay. <laughs> Not quite thirty, but better than one, though. <laughs> better than one, but I was like, at least this will last them. Hopefully, a week. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If the yeah, if the, if my math is right, it should last. It should a last a week. But it was. Well, I remember just playing soccer with these kids who are half my age, and it was the most fun I ever had. Yeah, honestly, like I remember boarding school too, because boarding school and the boarding school I
1: went to was a really nice one too. But we just didn't have a lot of things that people here just take for granted. Like we we're always online, for example. Yeah, it was. I was there in like what twenty eleven. But still, like I didn't have a phone on me all the time. I wasn't allowed to have a phone. so mm. what do young teenagers do when they're bored? go play ball man so we would play like every every waking moment we'd be playing and there you're playing with like your boarding school basically brothers so you're actually like a big family playing football mm. and we we would sometimes play for fun just like that and then have practice and then play again.
0: Oh, that's I love that. I love that. Yeah, so that. we'd
1: have the practice that was like serious where, you know, drills and whatnot. And there's a coach and there's like cones and structure and whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you're getting ready for a game, tournaments. And then after that, it would be kind of like, yo, we still have a bit of time before. It was whatever, time for dinner or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. And it was, we used to play in the dark. You know when there's no lights and they're like you are you can barely see the ball, but somehow like no one's willing to let the game go. No one's like, ah, right, guys, it's too dark. Let's go. It's like, nah,
0: nah, nah. Until we're called in, we're playing. Man, I, I love that because I think here we have it too good. When you're not in a nice turf or a nice yeah. pitch, people are like, I'm not down to play. I mean, I get like that sometimes too. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. there are moments where I'm like, I'm so down to play. I was like, who cares? Yeah. I could play on the street. I can play yeah. on the dirt. I really don't care. Let's just play. Yeah. And then I'm always trying to get excuses like, oh, this will help your reflexes because what if the ball bounces unpredictably so you can, ref- you know, yeah, and uh, just react properly. So, well, wait, did you, while you were back in Rwanda, which was what, like pretty much last year and two years ago? Uh, yeah, I was there like two months ago. Yeah. So, were you still playing when you were back? Even like before oh, COVID? Oh, man. Whatever? So,
1: uh, before COVID, my friends and I like got this really cool, we found this really cool spot. It's too, it's too bad because they shut down, but... It was in a warehouse, Ooh. and there was, like, these small uh, indoor soccer yeah. fields, and there was a member of staff that was a referee. And oh, then that's cool. We would play, like, these five-minute games where there was, like, a little circle outside the goal, so the goalkeeper couldn't come out. And mm. so, and we, we became addicted. My friends and I, like, my friend group and I, like, we became addicted. Like, some of us, we said, okay, first we started just by going on Sundays. And then next thing you know, some of us, are like, yo, Tuesday, hit is like, a good, a good group of people playing. So we show up on Tuesdays and then Wednesdays. And then the next thing you know, you're playing like three times a week. Wow.
0: Okay, so how would you – this is what I'm curious. If you were to compare the level between Rwanda and Montreal, yeah, how would you compare it? Very interesting question.
1: Very interesting. So in Montreal, I, um, when I came back when I was 16, 17 or so, I played AAA nice. for like two seasons. First season, I didn't play much. Uh, and second season I played quite a bit. But I do remember that I felt a little um how do I say this? I felt equipped technically. Right. I felt like I was aware I, I knew I could play. Right. I, I didn't I didn't question that. And I don't think the people who play with me question that either. But it was just that that whole like thing of having a real structure around, having like a real coach, an assistant coach. Uh, ah. Like I wasn't used to that, you know? Okay. And um, before I went to Nairobi, one of the reasons I went to boarding school in Nairobi is because in Rwanda, we didn't have enough, in my opinion, my opinion at the time, I, I feel like we didn't have enough competition. Mm. And I wanted to compete. Like I had this thing in me that I just wanted to compete. And then my mother, who's always always been supportive, said that, you know, okay, Nairobi, because she grew up in Nairobi, and so she knows the city well enough. And she's like, all right, there's a school there, and they're really good at soccer. So I went there and then started competing, went for tournament in, like, Sweden and and, um, Denmark. Actually, just in Denmark. We didn't make the Sweden one. So, so yeah, so I felt like, wow, I'm competing. Like, this is cool. But that was a one-off. That happened for, like, I went to boarding school for, like, two years, right? Yeah. So I competed for two years before I got to Montreal where I was playing with guys, but I uh, but I was bowling every day. Yeah. Maybe more than the guys in Montreal were because, you know, how it is here. There's more structure. So you need cleats. You need to make sure you can go out, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's snowing half the year. <laughs> so I probably play more ball in them, but they've been playing in like
0: organized teams since they were like six. Mm-hmm. And
1: sometimes I could feel it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I remember I played a double A La Salle. And yeah. before double A La I was, I, I, I'm i going to say about as you. I played in the Montreal Korean league, which uh we didn't really have coaches. The yeah. captain was pretty much our coach. It was like self-organized, but like everyone in the Korean league, a lot of those who came from Korea played at a high level in Korea. Okay. Like there's was someone who played semi-pro. Wow. But there was no coaches. So the structure wasn't as imposed. Mm-hmm. And I also like in Montreal, my entire soccer career was... Uh, until like i got to university where i stopped doing it but like i was playing pickup soccer every day not yeah. almost every day every weekend so there's really no structure soccer pilgrim <laughs> yeah thank you oh yeah you read it thank you man pick up the darby magazine uh issue one it's very do good. that do that and um uh i remember joining one of my friends in the session was like hey why don't you come play for my team my brother's coaching his best friend's the assistant coach other okay. co-coaches and he was like uh it was like, just play. He's like, I think you're good enough to play. I'm like, all right, cool. So I go. I didn't really have fun because I didn't, honestly, I didn't really get along with, uh, not get along, but I didn't. It didn't click. It didn't click with the team I socially. Yeah. And also, they kept playing me. I'm a winger. They kept playing me center mid, and I was like, I don't want to play center mid. This wow. Exactly. But then, like, when I see my other team, my teammates, they're good. They're great players. Yeah. Uh, nothing against them. They're great players. But I got the same sense of view is that you've just been in a structured, uh, you've been in, in a very, well-organized, structured soccer uh, world your entire life. And I was like, I'm just not used to that.
1: Yeah. One of my coaches even said it to me. Because at some point, like, we had a game coming up and um, I was new to the team. So I was really, like, in this mode where I was, like, trying to prove myself all the time. Right. I didn't feel like I was comfortable in the team yet. And I also had the similar thing where I didn't click with the team as well as I would like to. But um, I remember asking the coach, like, so what can I improve on? And he was like... He didn't know how to exp- express it, but he's like, I can look at you and know you play and you play well, but I can tell you haven't played, you haven't competed as long as some of your teammates. Mm. And I was like, what makes you see that? And I was like, I don't know, but I just see it. So he basically he was just saying, it's going to take time. He's like, just keep competing and at some point you'll, you'll just get the hang of it. But sadly, just like you said, when uni starts, you have so many classes, you're working at the same time you sadly exactly. something
0: has to go and sometimes it's a lot of times it's soccer so let me um i'm ch- okay i'm gonna put myself in the shoes of someone who doesn't un- who doesn't play soccer doesn't know much about soccer okay how would you describe the thing we just talked about of like the struct being in a not so structured environment and being in a structured environment what is that difference what is that feeling if- um that's a very good question because even that coach couldn't express it because as- like i think you and i we could we can identify it.
1: Yeah, we felt
0: it's, it. It's hard to express.
1: Yeah, we felt it. Maybe we just so I don't know. Maybe I'd like give you give someone another example, an example maybe that feels more. I would say okay. Let's say you, you're, you play an instrument. Yeah, you've been playing your whole life. You've been playing for your family, barbecues, birthday parties, whatever, Christmas, New Year's, and then at some point you go into like an art school. And you have the talent, you can play your ass off, but then now you're surrounded by kids who have been in like a professional or more serious uh structure, and you just feel like the odd one out. You just feel like I'm the maybe it's an imposter syndrome, maybe maybe we shouldn't mm. have you know read too much into it. Maybe we should have been like, you know what, fuck it, I can play, they think I can play because they're making me play, so yeah, that's just good enough. But... I would say yeah, it's like it it, it it's like um, when you play just for passion and just for just for props, huh? Yeah. Because I like the in your article, Derby Mag, <laughs> where you kind of just said that you're actually just playing for pride. Yeah. You're not playing for a, a league position. Do you know Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're not playing for uh, to qualify for regionals. Yeah. You're playing to beat your neighbor, beat your brother, beat your friend. And you want to embarrass him. So mm-hmm. the goal is to embarrass... The goal is to... It's not It's not like winning at all costs. It's not like, okay, so I'm a right back. So my job as a right back is to track back and to... Uh, da, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's, you're not like, okay, so when we get the ball in this advanced position, I am supposed to... It's yeah, like, Joe, just give me the ball. Yeah. I,
0: I got this. Yeah, like I remember... I was talking to Greg and he was saying... um, I We we're, were just talking about that moment. I remember telling him, like, the reason why I play is because I want to... Because uh, one of the things, uh, maybe I'll ask you the same question. So like, I wanted to become a professional player when I was a kid. Same. And the reason why was because I, in 2002 World Cup, seeing how my dad jumped for joy every time Korea scored a goal. Yeah. I never seen him jump for joy. And I was like, <laughs> I was That like, was a big,
1: that was a big, yeah, that was a big moment. That was a big semi-finals, moment. finals, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, finished fourth against Turkey, but that was a great Turkish side. And I was like, I want to be, if my dad reacts like that, and I want to do that for thousands, for millions of people. Yeah. And, I kind of a anyway, so long story short, obviously I'm not a pro and in my mind is when I play is if there's a random stranger just one guy watching, I want to make sure that whoever that person is, I don't need to know their name, I don't need to know what they do, I just want them to know that when they leave they say whoever that guy was, he was good. Yeah. That's all I care about. I I, I don't need him to tell me yeah. that. I just I need I need to have an understanding that I played so well that you can say that that was good. This guy was good. I I feel you 100% and
1: Okay, I think now we're starting to get maybe closer to the to the reason why maybe we struggled in more organized stuff because I felt exactly the same way. But I sometimes would be a bit more cheeky about it, where I was like, I want to embarrass someone there too because I was. I remember when I was just playing for fun. I was a striker. Mm. I was a stri- man. I thought I was like silky. Yeah, Freddy Canute is one of my favorite players because, uh, in terms of build, people don't know me. Like I'm lanky. Right. I'm African. And I think I'm kind of silky. (laughs) Yeah. And he was amazingly silky, you know? And he wasn't like the fastest, wasn't... But you could just tell he was very clever, knew how to position himself and knew how to do the right thing at the right time. So I always thought of myself as being that. And he looked very expressive in his football. Yeah. You know? seems like a very quiet man, but when he came to the field, he was bold. He was, you know, daring. Right. And uh, I always played like that, you know? Where I wouldn't play just safe. I would like really try and... And do stuff that I saw on TV that's fun. And that was like the thing I enjoyed the most. And I think when you go to play for... And to tell you when I played in Kenya even, started there a bit. Because of those physical attributes I just described, I was played center back. Mm. You know? Yeah. I was played center back sometimes a four because they wanted me to play out from the back a bit. Yeah. And play and like be able to kind of move out of dangerous situations. Right. But I could tackle... I wasn't the fastest, like in terms of acceleration, but I could get, catch up after a while. Yeah, and then I was put in in center back, and already there it's like you're stifling me a bit. But I cool, I'm still, I'll take it. Yeah. So and it was serious, but it was not that serious. So I think now it was like again, it was it felt maybe more stifling again when I got into even more rigid and more um, uh, structured uh, type of football, and maybe it's because. I know it sounds crazy, but maybe by the time we're 18 like that, in terms of soccer age, we're dinosaurs. Yeah. If you, if you know what I mean. like Yeah, it's too late. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to get those things. If you're seven and now you're being put into a like competitive environment where you're playing a game every week, uh, you're developing as a, let's say you, you're a winger. You're mm-hmm. starting to develop as a winger. You start from the age of seven. And every summer you have these tournaments you're going to every, you know what I mean? Like yeah. There... By the time you're 15, all this stuff makes sense to you. But if you get in there like 17,
0: 18, in terms for sports, that's old. That's that's yeah, like, ancient. I remember I was uh, to World Cup. I was 10 years old, so I was like, I wanna, I wanna be a professional player. I don't understand what that means, especially in Canada. I don't yeah. understand what any of that means, but I just want to get there yeah. and play for Korea. Uh, but obviously that didn't work out because my parents are going to be a doctor, lawyer. Essentially, right? <laughs> you go to doc, you're going to be go to medical school or law school. But I mean. There must have been a moment for you where you were like, "I hope I get into the Arsenal Youth Academy." Do you felt like there was a way to get to the, let's say, the Arsenal Youth Academy from Rwanda or, or even from Montreal? Um, in Montreal, uh,
1: not so much because in Montreal it was too
0: much a hockey city.
1: I was playing in Montreal a bit, but I was playing in the neighborhood. My mom was one of the coaches, so it wasn't really ah, that serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I left kind of early, like at nine. And uh, my older cousin, who's like my big brother, shout out to him, uh, Greg Sawamani, yeah. uh, he always played and always competed. And it felt like it was just a natural course for me to eventually compete. But then I left. Mm. So and when I went to Rwanda, it was like I did find a team right away. But then it was more of a practice team. It was like more of, yeah, we'd come together And play games but practice games and we we didn't really compete with other teams yeah so you don't really so yeah so it it was it was just very different so i never really believed when i got to ronda that i always wanted to i always watch those guys and thought that would be great and i remember my mom sometimes like you have to kind of believe in it if you want it right Mm. and i just never really did i was always kind of like that this doesn't add up to me it doesn't seem feasible it seems so far england's so far away england is so far away and it's like I was young. I didn't understand like academies that well and stuff like that. Yeah. But I just felt like I'm sure these guys. You know, you know, you, you hear about stories of Henry and and Zidane. And you're like these guys were not just at home playing with their buddies. No, they age. were they were hustling at a young age. They were probably already like scouted at Clairefontaine, the national True. French national academy. True. You know, so so you just feel like okay, maybe this is just not for me. Like this is not gonna happen for me. Not because I'm I'm not they don't have the skill level maybe i don't either but i never got the chance to really find out properly as well yeah i'm also want, can i can i give you an example of a time where i felt like the the difference in terms of, of structure and stuff like that yeah, yeah go i hate bringing forward that kind of stereotype um uh, but it's just the reality is when i went to that tournament i talked about in denmark yeah it was called Dana Cup, and there's a bunch of teams from all over the world that came. There were thousands of young players. Oh, it's a big thing. Oh, it's huge. Thousands of us. It was like it's like a whole city becomes just a youth football that's, tournament. That's amazing. Oh, man. One of the best memories of my life because I was playing for the school, and then the school integrated players from outside the school, and then we became this team. And then we went like... Representing Kenya Like we had like The the jerseys And stuff like oh, that Oh that's cool When we are in the airport People were looking at us Like what the fuck And then there was like Teams Was Victor Wanyama With you guys He wasn't No he wasn't <laughs> He was already like He was playing in France Or something By then, no, He was playing in Kenya Oh okay And he was buzzing Like he was playing For like one of the big teams In Kenya called Gourmaya. Oh Might get in trouble With that Gourmaya, yeah Cause there's a big <laughs> rivalry So I'm not sure Which one of the two He was playing so, Oh yeah uh, Henry didn't he play For Spurs it's Like one of those Oh type. okay yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it was Gormaya. But anyway, so um, so we get to the tournament, and we were good. Mm -hmm. We were good, like physically, we were. I've never, I was never in in better shape than I was in that moment. And so my teammates, in terms of like one on one, we were really good. Amazing, bro. We played against some Germans. Forget it. Saint Pauli, the team. They were there. Yeah, like the youth academy. The youth academy. That brown ugly jersey. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, man. When I tell you that we played against those guys and we were completely outclassed. It was ridiculous. Oh my goodness. Bro, and I was centre back, so I never ran back as much in my life. You know, center back, you're trying to play the offside trap. Right. I my voice was hoarse at the end. Our goalkeeper stopped so many goals that at the end he actually like, I think broke his hand or something like that. Oh um there was this there was this guy. He was he was this, this really tall, really strong Asian player. And I just remember like my dumbass was like Okay, I didn't imagine him. He'd be playing for San, San Paulo. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but yeah. then you forget that like it's a big team, so probably they have players from all over the world. Right. He played like Patrick Vieira. was oh, incredible man! If he had to tackle me, he'd tackle me and leave me reeling on the floor. If he had to deke me, he would deke me. If he had to overlap, and he did everything. And I just remember at the end of that game, like we really gave it our all. Yeah. We lost three 0 but I remember shaking those guys' hands, and I felt like, yo, we were just completely outplayed. <laughs> no bitterness there was no it was like completely outplayed and we're just when we're back like at the place we're just thinking like wow there's levels to this shit you know i mean like there's, yeah. there's, there's like those guys you could tell we're playing against teams as good as them week in week out and they've been doing so probably together for years
0: and also you're just at the end of the day like your team is just you're just a high school team at the end of the day and they're a youth academy ready to become they're trying to become pros they are and they think they will become pros Going back to youth academies. Yeah. And going back to Arsenal since the season of Arsenal. Yeah. Uh, is Arsenal Youth Academy good? I mean, like, Sokka's a good proof. Uh, Smith is a good example. Yeah. Uh, Willock, Joe Willock, Nikatia's a good example as well. Yeah. Like, these are good players. I mean, do you think Arsenal has a good youth academy? They do have a good youth academy. I think we
1: produce good players, but I just don't think that we sometimes know what to do with them after. Oh, yeah. Nabry. Was Mm. in our youth academy And then we just didn't know What to do with him Bellerin Uh, Bellerin He he got injured And he got injured I think that that injury Really messed him up for I think it messed him up Because I think he was Such an explosive And
0: He lost his pace huh? Yeah yeah. I think
1: also maybe mentally Also there's something That comes in with Such a Bad injury Yeah I think it must mess with you Because you know I don't like being injured But my livelihood Doesn't depend on me Being able To run And Mm. stuff like that True true so I think, but I think we, I, I look at it like an academy, like uh, let's say Chelsea's, uh, it's very controversial what they do when they loan them out yeah. by the dozens, but, and it's true, some of them maybe don't make it back and it's not really the, the best thing, but once they come, I feel like they're ready. Yeah. At least, you know, okay, maybe I'm, I'm being blindsided by Mason Mount and Tammy. You're right. But Tomori felt like he was... You know, ready yeah. to agree. Was Christensen in their academy? I'm not sure. Something tells me he may have been. But, um, you know, I'm going to, like, summarize maybe what I think. Not summarize, but I've been thinking about this. Because when you asked me to to be part of this, I was like, you know, I don't want to just come in and talk out of my ass. Even though maybe we have been doing that for, like, an hour. But <laughs> I was like, you know, Arsenal is clearly not where it's supposed to be. Right. Something went wrong. Right. Somewhere at some point and I think that a very comparable thing is Kodak you remember the company Kodak yeah the, the camera we're old company. enough to remember that there were cameras that you know you take film and then you have to go to like pharma Prix and then yeah like, give them the film get it like developed and stuff like that and you didn't know what the pictures looked like till the weekend after I or remember that right? yeah the good old days when anyway we sound really old talking like this but <laughs> so you know the story of Kodak apparently is that they didn't want to go into digital because they felt like digital would like kind of kill them. Mm. So they ended up going from like a name brand, brand name, sorry, that everyone knew. If I were to ask my young cousins who are like 18 what Kodak is, they've probably never used a Kodak oh. camera before. Yeah. I probably don't know what it is. Remember like the slogan Kodak moment? That's a Kodak moment. There you go. Yeah. So is that so I feel like Arsenal was kind of like that because when the times changed, I think because of complacency, mm-hmm. I think of because of incompetence and arrogance. We weren't able to keep up with them. Yeah. Exhibit A: the Emirates. Ah. We build that stadium, and we tell ourselves, okay, this is gonna bring in revenue because, at that time, I think how they were making most of the revenues. Revenues the team were through uh, ticket um, ticket ticket sales. Ticket sales. And by the way, Arsenal's I think are the most expensive in the Premier League. Uh, most expensive season tickets. There you go. So. That was like they, they based a lot They put a lot of They put all their eggs In that one basket We're yeah. gonna make the Emirates Leave Highbury Which is like a peasant uh, Yeah You know whatever And then now This is gonna take us To the next level But then they say that Then they go Okay But because we built the stadium We're gonna not be able To compete Financially With these other teams For the next 10 years So I'm just like What? Okay But then it's like Okay we kinda have And that's when That's like the incompetence To a certain degree It's like okay you put all your eggs in that one basket, you maybe don't understand that broadcasting is going to become the the real money maker. Somehow, other teams kind of figure it out. Or they get bought out by an oligarch like mm. Chelsea or a state fund like uh, Man City. Right. So, okay, so these guys have unlimited amounts of money. How do the other teams manage? They use the broadcast money and they make it what they can with it. So we invest all our money in the stadium and then we have like six years where we have to be you know, tightening the belt because we're paying off the stadium. Anyway, that's I don't know how you why you tell that to fans. We we're not working in the accounting yeah. arsenal. We just want our team to do well. Yeah. So that happens and then now recruitment. What do you do when you don't have money? You have to be extra smart when it comes to recruitment. But now we're 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 thinking that we're extra we're, we're the smartest guys out there. So now we're getting these like, you know, our Shavin. We're getting all these guys that, okay, have not proven anything, but oh, okay, we also have the arrogance. No, no, we, we don't build stars. We develop them. Mm. But now the, the the change in the football game is not about developing teams. There's no more class of 92 anymore. Yeah. Those days are gone. Yeah. Now you get a good player, get get good, good players that can hopefully do a job for you within the next uh, few months. And the coach also is supposed to be able to deliver right away. Games changed. Games changed. We never changed with it. When the game changed when the game changed, sorry, we were still saying we still hang on to those values, which I understand why we would do that, but then th- there comes a point where you say, Okay, it was kind of arrogant on our part because it was no 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 no. We're not gonna do uh, what everyone else
0: does. We're different, we're special. And does that come from the just from the invincibles win?
1: I think so. I think it's like uh Wenger and the people around him oops, sorry, kinda of felt like their shit didn't stink anymore. And it's like, uh, I made this team, this invincible team, and he did, they did, and we can just we can outsmart everyone again. But it's funny because he was a revolutionary coach when he came in. Yeah. And then he refused he refused, sorry, to reinvent himself when the games changed. When the game changed. So he just kinda stayed singing the same song. Okay, when he used to say finishing top four is a trophy, few things in my life have hurt me more than hearing that. It's, it's such a loser mentality when you think about it. It's terrible, man. You can say that to the boardroom. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You say that to your stakeholders who don't give a fuck about fans, don't give a fuck about trophies. Yeah. But you don't say that to the fans. And you don't make it a quote
0: that's associated with you for the rest <sighs> of your life. That's so su- actually, speaking of fans, um, you as, this is one of the re- main reasons why I started uh, Soccer Pilgrim. Like one of the main reasons why I started soccer playing because like all my fans, all my fans, all my friends, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any fans, but uh, all my friends, all my friends that, um, that are soccer fans. Yeah. They're all international foreign fans, plastic fans. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, um, I, I became a Real Madrid fan cause it was an easy choice. Yeah. It's, it's Galacticos. Like how can you say no to a team that just bought Ronaldo and Kaká in yeah. the same transfer window? I, I, I was an AC Milan wow. fan, but I loved Kaká. I loved him as a player and every football fan i think fell in love with kaka he was seven he was a gentleman and uh, uh, like one reason and also like i used to go to church a lot so he was always brought up as an example of like quintessential christian man and rightly so yeah because he's a he's a quite a devout man and also like not obnoxious about his faith yeah and yeah managed to get to the pinnacle of the sport unfortunately real madrid uh, i mean his career kind of tanked there but yeah. but but the one thing I realized that the reason why I became more of a Montreal fan as opposed to a hard, hardcore Liverpool-Real Madrid fan... Okay. Well, A, the Real Madrid fans are toxic, and I really turned <laughs> me <laughs> off. Yeah. And I don't like how they treat their aging stars, like Raul, Casillas, Sergio Ramos, Guti, yeah. just ship them off would like, like, half-heartedly ship them off. And then Liverpool, the more I studied them yeah. as, a, as a social scientist, if you will, yeah. and the more I look at them, I realize that it's such a... Um, it's such a close-knit community yeah it's very much a family like um do you know when like i've been to boston okay and when you see boston fans you kind of understand why they are the way they are whether you like love Bruins or any sports any sports okay i mean especially as a, as a canadians fan i'm not a hardcore hockey fan but what's supporting the canadians is like a default for a montrealer yeah yeah comes, and when yeah yeah when you watch boston you're just like oh you guys are assholes but like but you understand why because it's working class they've just been through a lot together yeah definitely Liverpool has the same vibe and so someone watching from the outside I was like I could, I know I'll be accepted into this as a Liverpool fan yeah. in some ways by the locals like, assuming Yeah, but I was like I'll never resonate truly with this mm-hmm. and that's why I'm more of a Montreal fan I was like this is my city I understand this this is the team that I grew up watching as a kid yeah or not really watching, but understanding who they were, and the team belongs to you. you know? it, I'm, yeah, I'm yours. a season ticket and
1: holder, so I'm like, I'm even I'm, if you didn't, I feel like it's still like I don't go to the Habs and everything, but when they win, I win, sort of. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly,
0: yeah. exactly. And so, in that same extension, do you feel like there's certain things about Arsenal, uh Arsenal fans that being from North? Have you been to an Arsenal game before? I have never. Okay, I've never been to a Liverpool game. I've yeah. been to a Real Madrid game. Which is yeah yeah I gotta say a lot of show business around that thing. Then I realized that this is a major tourism attraction and it's yeah. show business. Yeah, and I realized that's just the Real Madrid image. Yeah, but that being said, uh, is there something about Arsenal that you realize that there's certain cultural aspects of Arsenal in North London that you can't seem to it doesn't resonate with you or it seems makes you feel even more foreign. Um. Like you just not necessarily make you feel like an outsider, but you realize that this is something very specific and unique that I will never understand. I think I started feeling that a bit more when AFTV became a thing. Oh yeah.
1: Oh because yeah. Before it's like, yeah, I was aware that there are people who are from the area where hybrid used to be. And mm. who have been, you know, fans of Arsenal for generations and who go to away games. Like you see them, you hear them. I mean, while you're watching, but then I was like these guys become personalities and that's when I was kind of like all right yeah there is a difference between me I'm a broadcast fan I'm uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan from a, from afar from afar yeah and I'm I made the um, a project where I was kind of investigating like sort of my role within that because I say stuff like oh yeah soccer is being like butchered by these big corporations that are catering to plastic broadcast fans and then I was like but I'm one of them yeah I wouldn't consider myself plastic 20 years in. I think I have some sort of merit, but I'm not from North London. Mm. Uh, I don't, you know, when they made the tickets, the most expensive ones and like for the season passes or whatever, that didn't hurt me. When they lose 5-0, I didn't drive up to Manchester, you know? Yeah. So I think it's when I started hearing those guys speaking, I was kind of like, oh, wow, there was a difference between Cause like- some of us.
0: I didn't. I watched like maybe one or two Arsenal fan TV clips. I can never watch the full thing because it's, it's, it's a little too toxic for my taste. To be honest, <laughs> it's funny, but I was like, "This it, it gets a little much." It, it does. And um, they, that's it was in that moment where I realized that, especially with Liverpool winning, yeah, the Premier League. I'm like, "Oh shit!" Football really is religion. Like I always understood that yeah. concept, but to really see it, especially with a team that you support, you're like, "Oh, there's something I will never understand." Yeah, but in the same way, it's like there are some people who will never understand why the Canadians making it to the playoff finals against Tampa Bay meant so much for the city. Yeah, you know? and you know,
1: I I think it's uh, it's a very peculiar thing because the religious aspect that you talk about to a certain degree, people who are part of something like a religion, I think there's an aspect where they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. Yeah, and when you're part of such a global fan base like Arsenal. Sometimes you just feel like you are in this really big family. That sounds really cheesy, but it's true. You just feel like you, when they win, I'm happy and so are like probably millions of other people. At the mm. same time, when they're doing bad, and then I can go to a bar. I go to a bar in Singapore, not know anyone, and there's an Arsenal game playing. I can go to that bar, sit there, and then I will hit it off with someone within
0: 30 seconds. Same with me. Like, um... It's you'll find Real Madrid fans anywhere in the world. There you go. But finding Liverpool fans, and you could tell that they're old school Liverpool fans in another country. I there's always a there's a kinship that hits immediately. I yeah, I can see that because there's there's yeah, you're right. It's less of a trendy, trendy. I mean, now
1: it is. Now it is, but like yeah, if you if you go back ten years ago, if you met a Liverpool fan, they were really a fan. Yeah, that was was, like they knew
0: they knew the song, so you'll never walk alone. Those were the John
1: jo Shelvy days. You know, it's not uh, <laughs> Fabinho. It was a different oh time. Oh my God, Andy Carroll.
0: That's <laughs> um, when I started watching Liverpool. What's that, guys? Charlie Adams. Remember him? Yes, I think wow. he was a winger, like a left, left, left mid or a right mid. I forget.
1: Yeah, good left foot, but nothing else. But I just remember, like, yeah, that was those were hard days, man.
0: Yeah, and um, it's funny because I started watching Liverpool when they signed Luis Suarez. Because I remember, Ooh. I remember they, I remember watching him in the wow. 2010 World Cup yeah and they kn- he knocked out Korea with a beautiful curler that hit the far post and in and I was so upset but I remember looking at this guy I was like this guy's a son of a bitch but he's a good player <laughs> and then the handball against Ghana not gonna lie the handball he did against Ghana I was like I like this guy more now <laughs> he'll do everything for his team and that's the thing and then when, Lu- when Liverpool signed him I was like I think I'm gonna start watching Liverpool now yeah no I can see that because he's that guy who could get people to tune in that's it and um okay so we're Okay, we're pushing over an hour so i guess we'll start ending it soon yeah um last question then before you get out sure how does it feel that spurs is the better north london team
1: Mm, (laughs) for one i i'm not sure that's a fact (laughs) they're, they're doing better now yeah it's like i don't know i would say um i don't know uh rolls royce can sometimes have some bad years but i would always have a rolls royce over a toyota Oh, you know what, what I mean? going... like, you know what I mean? like <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I would always, no question about it. But I do feel like Spurs are in a good time. It's been a good 10 years. <laughs> it's been a good 10 years where like they're really starting to cause trouble. I remember when Harry Nap was there too. Where, yeah, you know, that's where Bale, Bale, Bale happened. Versus uh, Inter, I remember that. Van der Vaart came from Real Madrid. Ah, he was a nuisance mm-hmm. for us. But um, I feel like uh, I would honestly like it if both of them did better because now... That it adds some sort of real stakes to that game. Because mm-hmm. now it just feels like, okay, we're doing terrible, but we're doing better than Spurs. And I'm not satisfied with that. Arsenal standards have been completely like going downhill. Yeah. And I don't think we should just be happy with oh yeah, we're we're not as good as we should be, but we're better than our
0: rivals. I don't think that's enough. That's fair. That's fair. Um I wish there was a better way to close this, but uh I think... No. Actually, no. I'm going to say this. I'm not I'm not too worried about Arsenal because the history of the club is too big to fail, in my opinion. But then again, Arsenal has a way of surprising you. Yeah. Uh, they do. But yeah, I just... Uh, I w- it's it's kind of crazy to see that all the London teams right now are getting better. Yeah. Crystal Palace is looking good. West Ham have been very decent. Everton are looking good, Everton too. Everton are looking good. It's it's that broadcast money at the end of the day and I really hope Arsenal pivots and um, do you think there's going to be more Arsenal fans in the future? Like, there's going to be more new Arsenal fans? I think if
1: if someone like Saka becomes the player we all wish he could be and the team gets to a level where they're good enough to get into Europe and start fighting for for the, the league definitely Mm. but those there's, there's, those are two very big ifs I think the Saka becoming the player he's he could potentially be I think that's I hope that's gonna happen but the other one I'm not sure honestly like there's no guarantee that Arsenal become come back to where I once knew they, where, where they once were there's no guarantee yeah. I'm trying to think of an example of a team that just actually maybe to end on a more
0: positive note I look at AC Milan oh yes and think
1: that maybe it's possible
0: because AC Milan's back on the rise and I'd love to see that. They they're not quite who they used to be. They
1: don't have Nesta, Pirlo, Mm-mm. Seedorf and they don't have players of that caliber at all. They have financial issues, they have some management things, but when I watched them play against Liverpool this past week, yeah. In the first game of the group stages of the of this season, it felt like okay, they they didn't forget who they are
0: they're like in that game I'm, I remember watching that game I was like this is the AC Milan there's glimpses of the AC Milan that I remember growing up with
1: yeah yeah
0: and uh, finally Liverpool AC Milan meant
1: something like when, yes. the, when the game happened I wasn't sure I was kind of like oh okay might be kind of a, a, an ass whooping but now after that I'm like okay no that's how you prove that you're back is when you can play a game against a big boy because Liverpool is a big boy yeah. worldwide and hold your own make them sweat and then everyone pays attention takes notice and goes okay ac milan might be back
0: i think yeah we can only hope fingers crossed for arsenal and that note thanks for coming in ganji i really appreciate this
1: it's a pleasure always happy to talk to you and always happy to talk about soccer so football
0: soccer whatever
1: yeah whatever floats your boat
0: no rules fam as they as point of view, <laughs> always say so <laughs> there aren't any rules uh thanks for coming in so everyone i appreciate you listening this was a a long but a good one it was a good one I really this was a great conversation didn't feel like an hour it felt like it didn't it was nice it didn't and that's how you know it was fun and it was good and do you have been is there anything you want to plug I guess or anything you want to share with anyone else that if they want to reach you if they no I'm just I'm just really happy to have been part of this I've been listening and
1: I'm just happy now to be part of it and wish you all the, the best in this you know
0: podcast and Darby Mag and thank you yeah man only ways up thank you so much So as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for being an audience to everyone. And from Montreal, this is Soccer Pilgrim. And your host, Jason Kim. Thank you.